0: Let me give you a quick prediction. I think what you're going to see, what you're going to see, and and Ethan, you you might be interested in this. If you let LLMs generate your data pipelines, there's going to be an entire industry of people that are coming to fix GPT or LLM generated code. All right, we're going to see <laughs> a whole new industry. You guys go start your business now on how to fix you know auto generated pipelines and auto generated models. So I think that piece is.
1: Uh, I'm sure the happen. big consultancies would love this, Sonny. They're going to promote the hell out of it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and and, and the, the last thing, I don't want to hog it, but, but I want to get this concept of, across. I think what you have to do with these LLMs is you kind of have to fine tune them, right? You have to yeah. give them enough information and tune them to a narrow uh, solution so that you can get something valuable out of it. You, don't, you reduce the hallucinations that you're going to get out of it and increase the value so you kind of have to give it that fine-tuning um, to get you where you want to go
1: hello and welcome to coffee with coalesce a monthly podcast about all things data and the trends and technology transforming our industry I'm Armand Petrosian CEO of coalesce and here with me is my co-founder and CTO Satish Jayanti. together we'll be your host for the next hour I'm super excited for the guests we have today and the topic that we're covering, uh, which is will generative AI kill data modeling as we know it? I think everybody's talking about generative AI right now, and it's definitely been on our minds. When, when I say ours, I mean myself, Armand Petrosian, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Coalesce, and got my other half here, Satish Janathy, <laughs> uh, the other co-founder of Coalesce, and then two amazing guests. I'm really excited to have you both because we obviously do transformations, Portable does ingestion, ThoughtSpot does business intelligence, and that's basically the full stack with the exception of the platform that it goes on. So I think we're going to get a really broad perspective of this, and it's such a fun, interesting topic. So without further ado, why don't you two introduce yourself? I'll let Sunny go first, and then Ethan, just so the audience uh, here knows who we're dealing with. All right, hey, I'm Sunny Rivera. I'm a
0: senior analytics evangelist for ThoughtSpot, um, but I've been in the data space for 25 plus years, building out entire stacks, data platforms, whether they're on premise or in the cloud. Um, so I'm really happy to be here. Uh, I have a, a, a big background in data modeling. I, I built my own data modeling product years and years ago. Um, so I'm excited to talk about this and uh, everything that's going on with GPT. And LLMs, of course.
2: Yep, yep. Ethan? love it. So I'm Ethan Aaron. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Portable. We're an ELT tool. We connect to 500 different applications, extract the data, load it into a data warehouse so uh, Coalesce can take over and transform the data uh, and then it can be visualized in something like ThoughtSpot. Um, So that's what we do. All we think about is how do you get data out of systems? And there's a lot of manual work involved in that. And then we drop a ton of data into warehouses. It's like some human being today has to go figure out what to do with that. So I think there's there's a lot to talk about here in terms of what can change with the new technologies that are coming out.
1: Love it. There's usually a little bit of delay here. So if everybody's following us, one thing I always love to do, uh, it was crazy. I want to say there was about 1,000 people registered for this event, obviously very hot topic, a lot of buzz around this, but there's usually an audience right around the world. I see Raul saying hello all. Uh, can can everybody just send in where you're where you're coming in from? Where are you tuning in from? It's always such a it's always something that I enjoy seeing what different cities and countries people are listening to this awesome show from. So we'll watch those trickle in. I'm sure that that delay will get there eventually. Um, and then meanwhile, we can we can get rolling, Ethan and Sonny. Um, hey, Johnny. Hello, hello. very excited to see what comes out of this conversation. I'm excited too. Uh, let's hop in. So <clears throat> I've got a few questions. Um oh, here we go. So we're starting to see starting to see different places pop up on our yeah. uh, comment screen. Uh, I love seeing different countries. Germany, London, uh, Denver, Stockholm, Sweden, Romania, Vegas, mm-hmm. Costa Rica, Costa Rica, yeah. Yeah. recently one of my favorite spots. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Okay, Ethan, Sonny, the first thing I gotta ask, so, we always talk about how generative AI is going to impact the analytics landscape. I I feel like there are certainly use cases where it can be beneficial that we've, that we've seen. There's also certain use cases where it's pretty unhelpful. And so I'm just curious from a a base perspective, are there any use cases that you see being really obvious ones for leveraging generative AI or something like chat GPT? Right off the bat, I don't know who wants to go first, Ethan, maybe Ethan since Sonny.
2: So, so I'm happy to go, go first. Um, my high level thinking on this is just, it's, it's just like hiring a person anywhere. Um, and one of the biggest things is someone has to do the really difficult thinking around like in our world ETL, like it's yeah. not just, Oh, can you read API documentation more efficiently? It's like, that's one piece of a much larger framework. distributed system we have to build. Same thing on the the actual transformation layer in the visualization layer. So I think the structure and the overall frameworks and and the the way in which data moves, there's a lot of architecture and um, thinking that has to go into that, that isn't going to be replaced anytime soon. Pieces of that, um, that are done by human beings today Specifically, things like like I continue to believe that there is that thousands of people keep writing the same SQL queries on top of their Stripe data, mm-hmm. and things like that are are the first things to go, in my opinion. Um, but it ha- the only way that works is if this type of technology can be deployed through Coalesce or through ThoughtSpot right. at that specific point in the data pipeline. You you have to have the framework around it; otherwise, it, it won't help.
1: And, and you're saying someone has to design that framework, basically. A person has to some intelligent person has to be able to design it appropriately.
2: You 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 effectively have to know you have to you have to take the entire idea of you have data living in some system, extracting it, putting it into a warehouse, being able to transform that in a structured way and then visualize it. You have to be able to simplify that all down to like, okay, cool. Like we know data is gonna look like this, and we mm-hmm. know the output is gonna look like this. At this one piece in the transformation layer, now that one step, we can use AI to streamline the actual writing of a SQL query, or um, the actual design of the chart in the visualization tool, or the parsing mm-hmm. of the AI documentation in in our world. But it's not going to end all be all. Remove the need for data pipelines. There, there there's too much too much complexity. Yeah, um, yeah.
1: yeah, that makes sense.
2: I, I agree with you. I'm curious
1: when you when OpenAI or ChatGPT launched. How long did it take you to come to this conclusion? Like, was there was there an element of concern there? Was there an element of excitement? Maybe both. What was what was running through your head as far as it relates to the data ingestion space and portable and your business and what you do day to day?
2: I think I. Th- there, there's a lot of stuff about like we, all we copy and paste data. That's it. Uh, yeah. Take data from APIs, put the data <laughs> in your data warehouse. Like it's it's it, it sounds really really boring, and it is. Um, so it's like those are the prime things to think about when it comes to AI. When you go really really deep into building an ELT tool, we've been doing this for three years with a very lean team. Uh, you realize the complexity of this problem is not in the reading of API documentation. Sure, like I would love to have AI do that on my behalf. It's really boring. But as someone who's at this point built over four 400 connectors myself and read thousands of sets of API documentation, even that is not the simplest thing to delegate to AI
0: mm-hmm. because
2: a lot of documentation is just wrong. It's not standardized in any capacity. Everyone thinks everyone uses a Swagger spec, but they don't. So I think at the highest level, it seems like, oh, this will just wipe this entire part of the market off the map. Right. Um, But when you've spent enough time in the space, you're like, this is, there's actually a lot more complexity here. And for some types of aspects, it can be an asset to us, but there's no way um, it can just solve the problem holistically. Um, So I think of it as a tool that we can use. Um, And I think it'll be valuable to us, just like it'll be valuable to you and and ThoughtSpot and elsewhere. But um, I, I, it it can't solve, it, it can't solve this problem overnight.
1: Yep, that makes sense. I, I see we got a comment here from Kent Graziano, or at least a question. I think, Sonny, you, you would be great to answer this. You were just at the Data Vault conference. I know you saw our team there, also saw Kent there. I heard Kent was mad at me for not being there. So sorry, Kent, uh, but, but, but he says, before we answer any of these questions, you have to define what you mean by data modeling in the first place. It is not just writing some SQL, right? So yeah. I'm curious, Sonny, what, how would you describe data modeling and the relation to it when it comes to generative AI, first and foremost?
0: Well, one, Kent and I talked about this at, at, at uh, the Data Vault <laughs> Conference. And I will say we use the word data model. We overuse that word and we mean a lot of different things, whether it's a machine learning model or right. it's data warehousing or it's consumption modeling for analytics. And then we use the word model to mean a projection of data, usually one big table that can be consumed by some tool. So what do we mean by modeling? Um, you know, Are you talking about analytics modeling? Are you talking about warehouse modeling? So I do think putting those into different um, categories matters. I understand what Kent is saying there. Um, when it comes to using LLMs and you know things like GPT, is it going to replace data modeling? I don't think so. I don't, don't think so for a lot of reasons. But the first is um, you. You do need to understand the business, and so you need some context around that. So, where is you know, where are these LLMs good? What are good use cases? I love the idea of using uh, LLMs, GPT, to extract knowledge from data sets that you and you and I may not know about. Right. One of the things I did was I I took data or descriptions of businesses and pushed it through. Uh, GPT and said, identify all the entities out there and the relationships and their attributes, and it gave me a list of relationships between entities that I hadn't come up with myself, and picked up entities that I didn't that I didn't expect because they were just missing. They were just um, mentioned in passing. So there may be some things there where maybe GPT is going to help us identify relationships. It can help us identify. Um, maybe new attributes, maybe new uh, uh, entities. Um, But that's kind of really, you know, a a huge area where I think LLMs can help us. But if you're going to say, you know, build me a model for my business, it's not going to have enough information to do that. I think you need, I think you still need some expertise. And I like to think of it as augmented intelligence, not artificial or replacement.
1: That makes sense. It's... It still requires what you're saying is it still requires a deep level of collaboration between the consumers of data and the people that are actually producing that data for those consumers and if anything it's going to help assist with that process and ideally make that collaboration easier but it won't replace either of those positions necessarily
0: yeah let me give you a quick prediction i think what you are see what you're gonna see and and ethan you you might be interested in this If you let LLMs generate your data pipelines, there's going to be an entire industry of people that are coming to fix GPT or LLM-generated code, right? We're going to see a whole new industry. You guys go start your business now on how to fix, you know, auto-generated pipelines and auto-generated models. So I think that piece is-
1: Uh, I'm sure the big consultancies would love this, Sonny. They're going to promote the hell out of it. (laughs) That's right.
0: And, and, and the, the last thing, I don't want to hog it, but, but I want to get this concept of, across. I think what you have to do with these LLMs is you kind of have to fine tune them, right? You have to yeah. give them enough information and tune them to a narrow uh, solution so that you can get something valuable out of it. You don't you reduce the hallucinations that you're going to get out of it and increase the value. So you kind of have to give it that fine tuning um, to get you where you want to go.
2: One, one question on that front, I guess, for for all of you is, yeah. isn't a data pipeline in the data warehouse, like the, the the world that lives between the, the three of us, a pretty easy place to define that and tune that, though? Like, like in my opinion, it's like, we have perfect insight into the data that comes out of the systems upstream. Like, we, we know every endpoint, every field, every piece of data that's flown through that field, and we can tell you is it's an integer, a string, et cetera. Based on what you were saying, Sonny, like chat GPT or OpenAI are great at being able to find relationships between things like that if you define it, which someone like we can do, um, and then being able to actually transform that and visualize it. Like, it is a pretty scoped down problem when it comes to the actual writing of the logic and analytics. I think the other the other key thing around Ken's question though is what do we what do we mean by data modeling here. the the type of data modeling I continue to believe is the most valuable to enterprises is like their enterprise data model. Yeah. What are the actual things that matter to their business? And that is not, most people think of data modeling as a offshoot of their analytics stack. It's like all the data is there. How am I going to model it? As opposed to what is the data model we want to use to run our business? Like we're going to define tables in our production environment and pick tools as a result of this, that's the part where it can help assist you, like Sonny was saying. But that's a lot less defined than the data that lands in your data warehouse. So yeah. I, I think it's an interesting decision. It, it, I, I, it's funny because
1: Sonny talked about this a little bit earlier about how the term modeling is completely overused. I couldn't agree more. And there's a huge delineation between what is a logical model, something that you build out to actually design your data architecture, And that includes tons of different tables and relationships, and then the actual physical model and the construction and management of your data architecture, data model. Uh, You know, I think it's been overused in the sense of people just tie them together and say it blindly. They, you know, some silly vendors call a a table a model. Uh, I think it's uh, just like there's become a lot of uh, overuse and convolution with the term, but. I would say for the focus of this conversation, we should think about data modeling as both logical design as well as physical construction, how that how generative AI impacts those two components, similar to what you're saying, Ethan. Um, I feel like Satish, you, you probably have some good context here uh, as well. I know you've gone through, uh, you're at OpenAI, OpenAI's office for a day. Uh, you've researched ChatGPT extensively. Uh, I'm curious you know, as you've gone through that experience what you'd have to share on use cases and your thoughts on how it impacts the rest of the stack?
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, since we are talking about data modeling here, I just want to add a few comments. I uh, completely agree with uh, you know Sunny and Ethan here. Um, so, so uh, just traditionally, why we used to do data modeling, and I know it's been uh, people have stopped doing it uh, in the in the recent years, uh, but but. Data modeling kind of lets you first understand your business, right? I mean, you, you have to understand your business first before you put any solution out there. And data modeling exercise generally helps you. Right? What are the entities that we are talking about in our business? What, what are the relationships between these entities? So that's very fundamental. And a lot of times we jump ahead, skipping that, and put solutions out there. That's the problem, whether you're using GPT, not GPT, whatever. But if you don't understand your business, it's very unlikely that you're going to build something meaningful or it's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of errors in it. So in the context of GPT, I still, this this time where AI is kind of, you know, becoming more and more popular, I believe that data modeling is still going to be relevant and important. It's, it's almost like saying, you know, if, if, you, if you don't put your foundation properly, if you don't model, if you don't understand, if you don't organize your data, then it's highly unlikely that GPT would answer your questions properly. There's going to be errors. Garbage in, garbage out. We, we know that. So it becomes even more important. If you want to build that trust in your LLM model, what you provide to it has to be high quality right? So that, that's why I think modeling is still going to be relevant. Now, how you model using GPT, that's that's definitely is going to be helpful using GPT, where it can automatically kind of tell you, hey, here are the relationships. Here's what I found. Here's another entity that you might think about. So that'll kind of help you speed up your modeling process. But it doesn't mean that you don't have to model anymore, because GPT is somehow going to answer every question automatically. That's I mean- not-
1: yeah. Well one one small example? I remember we were we were together in Costa Rica with uh, one of our top SI partners, Hakoda, and we were just playing around with it to see could it generate a join accurately, yeah. consistently, and it, it got you like eighty percent of the way there, which is pretty cool. But it was not one hundred percent, and like if you can't completely automate that component then you know you got you have that remaining 20%. I think we can close the gap on that to a degree, but it's still not perfect, right? Like it wasn't capable of interpreting the relationship, writing the join for you. You still kind of need to tweak
3: it and interact with it, but it certainly helps. It certainly helps. Yeah, that's true. And, and this 80-20% thing came up in the OpenAI conference a lot. Um, like how do you identify what type of use cases, right? And yeah. We already touched upon this in the last few minutes here. Basically, yeah. what it's saying is a use case where eighty percent of the work is done by AI, and the twenty percent has to be done by a human to refine it and making sure that it is correct or adjust. Yeah. So th- that's the type of use case you want to take uh, as an example. When you know if you're trying to build this in your apps, there right. always have to be a human kind of uh, yeah. intervention. To do that last 40%. So that's the number one takeaway from that.
0: (laughs) Can I jump in here on that for just a second? Yeah. I I, I really like what Satish has to say here and and coming out of that that day with OpenAI. Um, You know, one of the things that we're doing at ThoughtSpot is using GPT for what it does well, Mm -hmm. right, which is natural language and letting it integrate with what we do well, our patented relational search and generating quality SQL. So GPT is not generating SQL, we're using our relational um, search and that's kind of a, a patented, we've got multiple patents in that space. So taking the approach Satish that you're saying is use GPT for what it does really well, use our IP for what we do really well um, yep. and integrating those together. And we're taking that eighty twenty rule and turning it into 95-5. Um, mm-hmm. But then I think it's critical to have a human in the loop, right? So that you can vote something down or you can change it and then have reinforcement learning come right back in there so that when, Armand, you come in and say something like, what are my top selling products, Right. right? I know what you mean versus you mean units, but Satish, you mean sales. Yeah. Right. So, sorry to go off on a tangent
1: there, but yeah, no, I, I love it. I mean, I think so. At Coalesce, we're hyper focused on automation and specifically focused on transformations. Right? We feel that's the biggest bottleneck with the analytics workflow today. And I don't mean to undermine it. You know, eighty percent of eighty percent of automation, whether it's a join or any other query that you're trying to write, and or even ninety five percent, if you can get closer to that, like the way that you're discussing something, that's a huge improvement like we, we were on a call yesterday, both Satish and I with the VP of analytics and, you know, he wasn't super familiar with snowflake. So he was just quickly asking questions to chat GPT, to write queries for him and a couple minor tweaks and probably saved us, you know, it was an hour long call probably saved us a half hour of back and forth and discussions. And so that's a huge improvement from the day to day. And I think using it effectively on how you interact with it is, is really key so uh by the way i see a bunch of great comments here in the in the in the public chat uh from chris lars robert i love it keep it coming uh if you have any questions please for, for either sunny nathan satish just please shoot it in the chat but one thing i'm also curious about we, we, we're kind of touching on this so i, I always think about like great there's there's Great potential improvements. There's ways to improve efficiency around your role and the way that you interact with data by leveraging something like Chat GPT. But what are some of the risks or concerns you see? It doesn't sound like either of you feel threatened, right? Like the like portable's not threatened, Thoughtspot's not threatened by something like OpenAI. It's if anything, it's complementary. What risks or concerns do you see? So uh no, Ethan, if you want to take it first or
2: yeah. Like To a certain extent, yeah, like 80% efficiency is massive when you're writing queries, when you're building transformations, building whatever, whatever you're building. Um, It's, but if it's 80% of the way there, it's kind of like hiring an analyst or an analytics engineer, whoever the person is. And I think the biggest risk is the same risk that you have with a junior analyst or a junior analytics engineer, which is some things 80% of the way there is fine. Like, great. Generally, how are things going? Like, awesome. You're, you're fine on that front. Accounting, you, 80% of the way there is like a legal liability. Um, same thing with fi- like finance, like global regulation, like trust uh, okay. requests, things of that sort. So it's one of those things where I think we're seeing it a lot elsewhere with AI as well, which is just like it makes people step back and say, okay, it got us 80% of the way there, but we cannot be wrong about the 20% it missed. We right have to figure out, like we have to take a fine tooth comb over this and figure out if it was right or wrong which is a new practice that companies should have so i think it's good in that respect i think it's just as big of a risk as hiring a as hiring a junior analyst um <laughs> but like but people thought because it was a human you didn't have that risk you do like if someone doesn't define a metric correctly and you use it for six months, a year, and then you realize that, like, it's bad. Um, and I think as long as we can view it and understand that 20% of it will be wrong and yeah. ask the questions, um, I think we'll be okay. I think putting blind trust and saying 80% is good enough, there's yeah. no scenarios where that is not at all the case. Um, I, I mean,
1: that's yeah. probably true. I mean, it's definitely true even if you take data out of the picture, right? I, I've seen all these different types of posts from people interacting with something like chat GPT and getting incorrect responses, but wouldn't have verified it if they weren't focused on reference checking what what's being produced. And I do see a huge risk in people taking everything that comes out of that literally, and similar to how we make or companies will make poor decisions on poor data they could make very easily poor decisions on poor interpretations from something like chat GPT. So Sonny, what are your thoughts?
0: Well, uh, one, one I think, you know, I agree with Ethan, you, you, which, which 20% is wrong, right? So it's still, that's still a hard problem to solve. So sure. I agree there. Um, I think, you know, AI has been around for a long time. It's going to be here for a while. There's a huge upside and we are just at the tip of this thing. Definitely. right? So I, I do think there's a lot of improvements that can be made. Um, one, one thing I would say to f- folks first off is separate chat GPT from LLMs or GPT, mm-hmm. right? Chat GPT is a chat bot that uses an LLM, right? And it is designed to be conversational right? But, you know, the T in GPT, it stands for transformer, right? And that's what we've been doing for a long time. So, it knows how to transform, give it the right context, give it the right information, fine-tune it the right way, you'll get more value out of it. I mean, yeah. frankly, you know, Ethan, you're generating, you're, your product's generating code today. Armand, your product's generating code today. We're generating code. We've been generating code for a long time. We know how to generate code. It's a... Um, it's a formal spec, right? We know how to do that pretty well. Now comes in in the layering in of all the relationships and layering in problem solving. Um, so that's where I think the problem is is when we begin to say, oh, it can solve my problem, not adhere to the former former, you know, the formal specification. Solving your problem is very different than adhering to a formal language spec. So I think that's, you know that's a, a big risk area. Then of course, trust, I, and we'll, we'll probably talk about this, but it's not just that, do I trust the answers? Mm-hmm. Do, does the business trust me anymore? You know, data teams have had a, a problem with trust anyway. And so now does your business stakeholder come to you and say, well, do I really trust you and your data team? And, or are you guys just using chat GPT? Are you doing these things that I don't trust? So what does that new model look like? between humans and businesses, you know, business stakeholders, not that they're not human, um, and, and machines.
1: Yeah, so you, you feel like there is a potential of how do I put this, of mistrust or or concern around what the data team's doing with something like Chat GPT or an LLM and how they interact with their day-to-day jobs. Like that's gonna be something that stakeholders or businesses are or is on the back of their minds as they go through the collaboration process, Sonny?
0: Yeah, and governments. I mean, we've already seen Italy yeah. say we're banning the use of these things, right? So yeah. companies are saying it too, right? Oh, now I'm exposing maybe internal information into this public domain that they yep. didn't mean to. So we've seen that already. So I do think there is, you know, is cause for concern there. But I also think there's huge upside and I love the upside of what I would call emergent, emergent features, like LLMs learning things or AIs learning things that we hadn't intended them to learn and then being valuable. So that's yeah. where I think the upside is.
1: Mm-hmm. So so speaking of some of this governance or, or concerns, you know, one question that it looks like Tushar has is how we see LLM models contributing towards the healthcare segment. I know, Satish, you've been involved in some of the largest implementations and a lot of the highly regulated industries—financial, insurance, healthcare—certainly something that I'm sure you've thought about. How do you see it? How do you see it interacting with some of these segments? Whether it's whether it's healthcare or FinServe or, or insurance—is it—is there something to be concerned about there?
3: Yeah, speaking, uh, they did. There was a lot of questions in that OpenAI conference about around this. Um, yeah, one is the security, right? Like, what is ChatGPT doing with my data? Like, yeah. you know, uh, and they were very open about it. Right now, whatever you send to ChatGPT, they said they store it for thirty days for research only. Like, if they go and figure out that the responses were not correct, then at least they have the data to see what was the what were the inputs. How can we improve this? For that reason, they save your data for thirty days. Mm-hmm. Now, um, they they said the goal was not to. Share any data down the road. Um, well, well, we'll see how that works. But when it comes to you know these kind of industries like healthcare, you know finance, accounting, what you know, uh, ethan alluded to, it can be, it cannot be eighty percent. You just cannot accept in healthcare eighty percent. Yeah, fine. You know, so they did bring an example from an application standpoint for healthcare. They were saying like how a doctor could just be in their office and kind of still use ChatGPT, but they, ChatGPT might be an assistant in terms of kind of giving them all possibilities, and maybe the doctor did not think about something that would help them right. uh, to, to kind of, hope. Oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. Let me look into that. So that's an 80 20% use case, right? I mean, because the doctor is not completely relying on ChatGPT to diagnose, but uh, they're just using it as, a, as a tool. Um, so that's, that's one example. I have a question
2: about, a question about that, though, because we're, we're starting to see this very rapidly. So I spent a lot of time on SEO, writing content to rank on something like Google. Um, and someone's got to write the content. And initially it was me. I was writing the content. Then you've got like highly paid copywriters. Then you've got less highly paid copywriters. And then it starts to converge pretty rapidly with I could do that on ChatGPT or I could pay someone. And then you start to watch and you're like, wait a second, the people I'm paying-
1: Are, like, are using it?
2: <laughs> using, just using AI. And then it's a question of like, it, it's even like the doctor example you just gave of like, yes. yes, if you are going to the best hospitals, getting the best healthcare, you want a doctor that then like looks to their intern or to AI or both for a second set of eyes and then makes a real decision. Right. But I think what you're going to see is there's a premium on that and then everything else is going to commoditize around AI, because like you you could have someone who has a online degree and being a doctor and whatever, like and AI behind them and like 80% of the time it'll be okay, which which is not acceptable, but it's going to happen just like it's going to happen in marketing it's going to happen in like accounting and like, and it's one of those things of either you need to have legal, like there are legal standards in place for a lot of this stuff, but you have to have that. And you have to hold people accountable because it's knowing like any inner, any external contractor or vendor you're interfacing with nowadays, you have to just assume this is what they're, what they're doing, doing the scenes anyway, every applicant that applies to your, to a job, every, um, person writing things for you or reviewing things. Like the first thing they're going to do is get to 80% going to say, do I look at the other 20 or like, will I be held accountable if I don't? And I think that's the part where leaders need to make a decision of either you hold people accountable for the, for the next 20 and you make it very clear or you don't. And at that point you ignore it. You just say, great, I'll just use AI for this. Um, But
3: yeah, people have to make that decision. Just one comment on that. We've been doing this for like, since the internet came, right? (laughs) This is no different. It's just like faster now. It's like, yeah, yeah. We used to go to 10 Google websites, like on Google, we search and we go to 10 websites. Yeah. And then figure out and put all of that together and say, come up with ideas and all of that. It's the same process. It's just done so fast now. It's doing all yep. the work for you. So
1: it's a, it's a bit of a platform shift. I love how you put it, Ethan, that we're basically paying for the 20% premium. You're, you're paying for that level of expertise that's able to, look through and scrutinize what is being produced by an llm or chat gpt and then interpreting it in a way that a professional actually knows how to fill that gap close that gap whether it's a doctor whether it's a journalist whether it's a pr person a marketing person everybody should be leveraging it in a way and so it's a great segue to johnny's question here in the comments which is okay Everybody should be using it. Great. How is this going to impact roles that we have in data teams? Are roles going to change? Are there going to be any new roles? More importantly, will there be a a larger or smaller need for any specific roles? Like how how are companies going to operate with this? How are data teams going to operate with this? I've got my own thoughts, but Sonny, why don't you you share what your your thoughts are there? How, How is it going to impact data teams?
0: Well, I think you know data modeling in general has been going through some role shifting uh, over over the last few years. So that's going to continue. Yes, just about every knowledge worker job is going to change, not necessarily go away, but it is going to change. So how does it affect us? I think it gets the usage of data closer to the decision makers. So the the, the distance between that business user that's making the decision. And the data, it goes down. It shrinks greatly. Um, And so is that happening in the next two years? Probably so. Definitely within the next three to five years. It really, really shrinks down. So I think, you know, as data teams, your knowledge of modeling, of the understanding the business, not a physical modeling, right? That's that's, That's a task that can be done. But understanding of the business, that goes through the roof. Your value associated with modeling the business, understanding the business is what's going to make the difference between you being a, you know, good data team and a superstar data
1: team. Yep. Or one of our, one of my favorite people that I've worked with, one of our customers, a gentleman named Gu, he, he talks about this concept of the 10x engineer and why this is the best time ever to be in the data industry, because there's all these technologies that help automate and accelerate what used to be really tedious, time-consuming processes, whether that's ingestion, like what you're doing, Ethan, at Portable, or on the visualization side with ThoughtSpot, and of course with Coalesce on the transformation piece, users are now able to accomplish things so much faster than they ever could have with the traditional and legacy ETL tools and BI tools, which is really exciting. I see this how data teams leverage ChatGPT as a, just another further enhancement to this entire workflow, and being able to accelerate and automate some of the other tasks associated with each one of these parts of the stack, which again is exciting. And, and the main reason I say that is because at the end of the day, sometimes people, when they hear automation, they feel threatened or concerned that it's going to take their job. But the reality is, most businesses are still struggling like hell to deliver data to the consumers. In a timely manner, regardless of what the ecosystem is or the analytic stack is, there's an ever never ending need and desire to consume more data, make more decisions, iterate, ask more questions that lead to more answers and so many other fringe use cases that businesses want to explore that if you don't embrace this, that's probably what's going to be the most the largest threat to your job as a data person. And being able to do things more efficiently and more creatively, more quickly is really what's going to help build a better collaboration process between the consumers and the producers. And so I I see it as something that's going to be an enhancement to data teams, something that if users don't embrace, you're going to get you're going to get passed up by the next person up who is leveraging it properly and able to do things more efficiently and quickly. Um, That's usually who's going to be the person that gets promoted or that gets the leadership role that people are gunning for and ultimately help build a better data-driven operation. So Satish, any thoughts on data teams, impacts, data teams, any, any I
3: mean, other I pieces here? One, I mean, you put it really well. Uh, there won't be any scarcity of problems that we need to solve down the road. Yeah. It's not like GPT will take care of everything and we have nothing to do. Uh, that's not how it's going to be. It's going to evolve and there's going to be new, new challenges in the data. I mean, think about... Two decades ago, the data volumes were small, and we came up with big data and saying hey, we can process everything fast, but the, the data sizes just grew oh like even larger. So it, it just keeps growing. And and I that's how I see it. We become efficient today and very productive with ChatGPT uh, or GPT in general, other LLMs. But down the road as we grow, go through this, there's gonna be more challenges, more more things to solve. So I don't think there is a reason why anybody should be scared. Uh, instead, they should embrace this. And, and, you know. What do you think, Ethan? Similar thoughts, similar feelings.
2: Yeah. So let me let me go the other direction. Um, <laughs> I think anyone that's spending a significant amount of their time writing SQL and organizing the SQL should consider finding other things to generate value. Um, okay. That as a role, the pure analysts, a lot of analytics engineering roles today are at risk, in my opinion. Like. The the idea of going from a question to SQL plus relationships, um, I I I I don't think we need AI. To, I, I don't think we need LLMs to solve that problem. I think we're on a path to solving it. It's gonna, it's taken a while, um, but I, I continue to believe like if that is your focus, if your focus is I want the SQL queries and the relationships and the perfect like organization of that, it, uh, mm-hmm. your job's at risk. Um yeah. And it's even without AI, like your job should your job should be a risk in general. Um yeah. <laughs> the, the things that I think AI will do a really good job of assisting people in, there's all the efficiency side. There's all the jobs and data that should not exist. To a certain extent, that's what why we exist, it's why you exist, it's why uh Sunny's Sunny's team exists. It's everything in data started off as someone wrote a script, and then 10 other people wrote the script, and then a vendor came along and was like, can we stop the next thousand people from writing that script? And to a certain extent, it, it is putting people out of a job and, or you can think about it as up, like allowing them to focus on higher order problems. Yep. Doing the yep. same thing. It's taking away the tedious tasks. So if you, in order to strengthen your role and your position in the market, up, like up level, focus your time on using the tools, focus your time on using and becoming a systems integrator so you can focus on the business problems, as Sunny was saying. I, I believe that all like the reason why data teams exist is to create business value. If that is not why your role exists, it's in it's at risk in general. Um, so
1: wait, the- wait, you mean it's not just to write SQL all day?
2: <laughs> I'm just, we're gonna piss off a lot of analytics engineers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> but well, no, it's 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 either increase revenue, decrease costs, or reduce risk. Those are the yeah. three main drivers of value. Um, and there is a really interesting question there of there's all the efficiency stuff. AI combined with just better tooling, combined with everything else, like things will become more efficient in the data world. The other question is what new value can we create using things like AI? And the, the one really interesting anecdote, I was talking to Colin Graves over at North Labs recently, and he Colin was talking Graves. about, he had a hypothesis. It's like, great, they, they realized that if they could reduce scrap metal throughput by 1%, it was a million dollars a year in cost savings. That's crazy. Um, uh-huh. and the first step there was not a data question. It was, okay, cool. How do we reduce scrap metal production? And I think going from that to data is something where you could actually use a combination of business stakeholders, metadata from your systems, and AI to come up with the hypotheses where it's like, great, we know that this thing will create value somehow. We either identified it or we had a conversation or we asked AI for what are five ways to create value in my business, given what you know about it. Um, And then what are the four things that could be causing that or the five things that could be causing that? And then have humans dig in. I actually think there's a lot to be done when it comes to identifying things that are high value for your business by giving models context. And I think the, the interesting thing there is I think half the context is data. Maybe not half, maybe 30% of it's data and metadata. Yeah. And then I think the other context that that we need to start thinking about is the business context. What actually drives revenue for our business? What drives costs based on based on our PL? Yeah. Like what are the things that we should think about doing to either increase revenue or decrease costs? Get 10 ideas from either our leadership team or AI, and then use that as a way of focusing. I actually think there's a ton more value to be created on that side than on how do we reduce. 50% of the SQL queries that people are writing. I, I, I already think we're writing way too many SQL queries that are useless that you could just remove half of them yeah. and be in the same spot. Um, for, so, for sure. so really, on the business value, I think it's a really interesting place for people to to, to focus on it, this. It's, cra- it's crazy to me that
1: people would even do a data project without first asking the business question or understanding what the business problem is in the first place. And, and usually it doesn't, it's not about just answering that question, right? It's what the answer to that question then leads more questions to that you then go answer and it expands that way and you find insights. And so I, I agree. It's kind of funny. Like, you know, Stish and I, we talked to all types of different companies. And sometimes we come across people who are like, okay, I just want to write SQL. I just want to write SQL. And it's like, that's what you want to do. Like the whole point of this is so you minimize that part of the process. You want to accelerate through that and get to insight. That's the point of your job, not to just sit there and write SQL or Jinja in, in globs of YAML. Like that's that's a huge waste of time. I think something like ChatGPT helps accelerate what would be a waste of time. And that's why we designed our solution to, to minimize that process so we can actually focus on business value. So... Uh, like you said, I think we may piss off a lot of analytics engineers in this conversation, Ethan, but I don't think you're a stranger to controversy, are you? No,
2: and, and, and the only thing there is, like, I, I think the right decision in a lot of the data world is to piss people off enough to make them realize that it's actually bigger than whatever they're working on that day. Like, if, 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 every person I can go to and just be like, hey... You have a bigger opportunity if you become a systems integrator or if you can sit at the table with your CEO and explain the value of what you do. And it's 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 not pissing people off just for the sake of it, it's pissing people off to because we like we have phenomenal talent around the data ecosystem. Whatever it is. Data you don't do it just
1: for fun sometimes? What? I said you don't do it just for fun sometimes. Oh, well.
2: Today, I, I said something was going extinct on LinkedIn. What did I say was going on <laughs> <laughs> You said
1: nearly like half of the data companies are going to go
2: extinct. Oh, God.
0: <laughs> oh.
2: Makes great LinkedIn content. <laughs> well,
0: let me jump in here, guys, because you guys are talking about something that's near and dear to my heart, which is always uh, asking the next question, right? Yeah. The whys and being able to, like I said, shrink the distance between that business user, that stakeholder that's running the business, you know, the distance between them and their answer, and then the ability to get to the next question and the next question. And I think that's what uh, LLMs are enabling us to do, to be able to ask those in natural language, and then also get the answers back in natural language. Um, Ethan, you touched on this. One is, it's the why, like, hey, Armand, sales are up in this particular region Right. This, you know, 10% year over year, why? Mm-hmm. And it's not just, you know, uh, a GPT waxing on about what it thinks or is hallucinating why, but those, those narratives that we can generate are based on analytical facts and backed up by data. So we can say, oh, by the way, sales are up 10% here because, you know, Satish is kicking ass over here. Sonny's doing an okay job over there. It's down in the Southeast because Ethan has pissed off everyone, right? Right? But but Scotty and and Satish made up for it. So having those narratives backed up by real data and, and being able to generate those instead of having a human, you know, spend their time to write a narrative, put it into a static PowerPoint and show it to you, you know, as a leader. No, you really want that interactive because when you're sitting there, What do you want to do you want to go oh i see that number why and then you see the next number well why is that and you want to keep drilling in and go ah that's how we can save that one percent on the steel usage and and increase our you know our our savings or our profit by a million dollars
2: i i i think that's a phenomenal use case for ai as well like that that string of questions you just asked the the problem with it is it seems so simple But first you have to get the data, then you have to put it in a warehouse, then you have to efficiently transform and model it. Um, Then you can ask those questions. So I think there's two ways for for AI to to, at least to impact this. One is the process of getting the data there. And then the second is the actual interrogation of the data. Um, Some of those like humans can only look at data so many ways like that. That's a really fascinating place to apply some of this technology is... Mm -hmm up this data a thousand different ways and tell me what's the most insightful thing that we should consider doing to Mm
3: -hmm.
2: reduce costs. Um, And you can probably get some pretty fascinating things if you provide the right context. Well, that's what
0: AI and ML are doing for us, right? And statistical models are interrogating the data in ways that we can't computationally do, right? mm -hmm. Um, and, And identifying relationships that we may or may not know even exist, even if those are bad relationships. For example, real quick, in the financial services industry, you know, you're not allowed to redline around uh, specific zip codes and things like that. Well, you could put AI on to saying, well, what are my best prospects and how should I loan to them? It may identify additional factors that are equivalent to just redlining around race or redlining around, you know, um, certain particular attributes, which would then be illegal, or go against your particular compliance regulations. So I think it's important to be able to use what Ethan is saying, AI, ML, to identify those hidden relationships, understand what they are, and then be able to take action from them, whether it's a positive
1: or a negative. So one other thing I think about is how you actually prepare the pool of data that an LLM is consuming from, right? Everything is dependent on that. Like, where, where, where is it actually producing answers from and how you get the best possible foundation for something like OpenAI to consume from? And so I'd be curious to hear all of your thoughts on this. But, you know, whether it's for a business and how, how that goes about, I mean, the thing I would think just... Logically, it would be that that would be coming from a data warehouse for the company. And it's super important that that's been a properly built data warehouse that can then be consumed for the business. But I'd be curious, like Satish, you know, obviously you've gone pretty deep in this. And do you see it being a becoming IP for the company, like leveraging that becomes a competitive advantage with the way that they interact with something like OpenAI for the business or maybe for even a segment, an industry? Like, do you see companies sharing that information and then trying to leverage it collectively? How do you, where do you see this going?
3: Uh, this question to me or general- For you, man, it's for yeah. you.
1: I mean, Sonny and Ethan could take it, but I feel like, uh, I feel like you'd have a good opinion on this.
3: Yeah, yeah. so so in general, basically, when it comes to, you know, data preparation and and things like that, you know, I think it's not going anywhere. You know, you have to, first thing, you still have to acquire data because the number of sources is only growing, right? So that's going to be a challenge. Now, whether you can do it faster with GPT, that's a different question, but that's going to be there. And the data preparation is not going anywhere. It's highly unlikely that we would skip that step. It's yeah. almost like saying, I'm going to open a restaurant, but there's no kitchen. I'm not going to prepare anything. You know <laughs> That's not going to happen. Uh, so in, in the visualization side of things, like how do you kind of interact with this and create that story, right? So those are all going to be there. And as far as the you know how the, this technology will be embraced uh, by businesses, I believe that it'll end up who is going to be the best trainer of these models. Mm-hmm. That, that's where the, the, the competition will grow. Like once these models will become like public or whatever. So basically what OpenAI right now, what they have is a very generic model. It can do a lot of stuff, but it, it does it very in a, in a very generic fashion. But when you take that model, and if you can train that to a specific domain, right. that's where the business opportunity is for all these companies. And, the the better trainer you are, or the better model you have, the more competitive edge you would have in the in the market.
1: Yeah, sounds like even if you are harvesting the best data, for example, if you don't know how to train AI to interact with it, then you're still going to be at a deficit to someone who maybe has less helpful information, but knows how to how to work with it and interact with it and, and prompt. Uh, an LLM to, to produce answers that you're looking for. It's really a race to that, is what you're saying.
3: Yeah, and also you can improve the improve the LLMs uh, itself by feeding them some in- information. So you're, you know, so there's two ways they talked about. it. We don't want to go into too much detail, but there is like one, you know, just training the model, and then they call it embeddings that they use. Uh, but but there's different uh, kind of practices of how you can improve a, a given model. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's where the business—that's where this will go in in the near f- future, uh, in my opinion.
1: So there's only a handful of minutes left. If anybody in the audience has any questions, now would be the time. But I've got a fun one, which is, uh, what do you think? Wh- which part of the stack do you see being impacted most negatively soon in the analytics workflow? What, like, from a from a vendor perspective or workflow perspective? Like, do you do you Ethan or Sonny think of a certain segment that's going to be negatively impacted soon, or do you feel like it's, it's really far out or what are your thoughts, Sonny?
0: Um, well, I, I'm, I'm not going to give you my thought. I'm going to give you our CEO's thought. Oh, wow. It was just,
1: (laughs) I'm going to speak for our
0: CEO, right? (laughs) Interesting on LinkedIn today, he, he published an article that said, apparently I said this, uh, and, and the article I'll, I'll share it on uh, afterwards was really about the fallout of bi vendors that don't um, adopt llms and natural language processing and self-service analytics and I, I think he said something to the effect of uh, you're gonna see a massive consolidation or reduction in the number of bi companies that can't keep pace with natural language queries narratives and self-service analytics
1: yeah hey it's that's brilliant I, I, it's a Basically saying, basically saying, you know, our space is at risk if you don't do this, which is which is awesome
2: to hear. It uh, sounds like great leadership. Ethan, what are your thoughts? Where, where do you, where do you see it? So the easy, so I'll I'll talk about the actual implications for data in a minute. Um, okay. The easiest one that is just going to go crazy in the very short term is any content you see talking about data. <laughs> yeah. If it's not a video, and even at some point, it's going to be videos too. I actually see a lot of people, content creators, moving to video content, which I think is a good decision for a lot of reasons. Any written content about data mm-hmm. is going to end up in this world of commoditized garbage that's like super noisy. You're going to see those yep. like download our PDF things yep. on on in every one of your feeds, and it's all it's it's all going to be mediocre trash um, because
1: it's all been produced by something like ChatGPT or, or largely been produced by it because right?
2: it's 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 a risk reward, like people are yeah. either going to focus on premium content or not. And personally, I think a lot of people are going to go to video as a result result of it. But I think you're going to end up just seeing a bunch of garbage when it comes to all written communication. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's why a lot of like one-on-one conversations, either over video or in conversation, like I love LinkedIn, um, that type of stuff I think is what people are going to gravitate towards instead yeah. of like, we do a lot of work for SEO, but even that it's, it's pretty impersonal when it comes to what it gets going to get very, very noisy, very, very quickly. It, it, it's sad because it's already so
1: difficult to distill. What is the truth in data? At, yeah. at least when I say truth, I mean from vendors perspectives or content creators perspectives, there's so much misinformation. There's, it's always been that way in the data industry. And so, I say it's sad, but at the same time, you bring up a good point, which is perhaps that forces people to do things in a more genuine fashion like video or conversations like this where you really have to debate things in a way or discuss things in a way that's novel. And that actually could end up bringing us forward once people get so numb to the fact that all the written content that's being produced is – being written by a machine for, for the most part and is written similarly, or at least not very clever or creative, unless you have a very unique perspective that you're able to tie into it, which I think is only going to get harder to, it's going to be harder to have that voice be heard. Yep. So,
0: you know, I started putting on my blog pieces, 100% human generated content.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's great. You can just when, when are you going to make it 5%? <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> well, if it's not 100%, I will note it. Put it that yeah,
1: way. Yeah. yeah 100%. All right. Looking forward to those ratios uh, shifting, Sonny. I'll, I'll keep an eye on this. <laughs> well, let's hope. Let's hope. So. <sighs> cool. Well, we got a couple last minutes left. Uh, is there anything, Ethan, Sonny, that you two want to share with the audience before we hop off here on your ends?
0: I'll go first and I'll, I'll try to be brief here. Um, yeah. yeah, well, one, I think, uh, LLM's GPT, it is going to change. It is going to impact most of our jobs, not necessarily take, make them go away. It will change the way that we do things. And I, and I hope that it changes it. I'm sure it will change it for the better. The The last thing I would say is if you're looking for products, tools, whatever, look for the ones that are using, you know, LLMs to make their products better and to add more business value and really ask that question. Because if it's, if it's a shiny new object, it's probably not worth your time. If it's yeah. something that's adding business value for you and your particular organization, then you should really take a hard look at it.
1: I love that. Ethan,
2: any other last thoughts on your end? I would just say forever, like ignore the tools, ignore the te- technologies, get a seat at the table with the executives, focus on creating business value. As Sonny said, if you can use tools to do that, amazing. If you can ask ChatGPT for ideas, go for it. But, like, every, it's a tough economy out there in general. Like, yeah. this isn't going to make or break that. Keep focusing on driving value, measuring the value, and showing the value um, above and beyond everything else. Um, learn, stay up to speed, but create business value.
1: Love it. Ethan, Sonny, such a pleasure having you both online. Delighted for this show. It was a great conversation. I think at the end of the day, I know we said we wouldn't answer the question straight up, but I think collectively we can easily say to the question, will generative AI kill data modeling as we know it? No. So there you have it, folks. Uh, Appreciate you both yet again. Satish, thanks for hopping on with us. Uh, This was a really fun one. So thanks, everybody. Thanks for having
2: me. I really enjoyed being here. Thanks. really enjoyed the conversation. Talk soon.